There are times when there are no beds available in the city, in which case that patient may do what we call boarding in the emergency department. That's the voice of Dr. Susan Stern, who you will hear more from in today's episode of the Seattle Growth Podcast, which examines how Seattle's growth affects the region's healthcare system. Today's episode features an in-depth interview with the person in charge of two of Seattle's premier emergency departments. You'll also hear the shocking way in which growth is impacting a nurse in an orthopedics department at Virginia Mason. You'll hear from the executive directors of Harborview Medical Center and UW Medical Center. And through all these interviews, this episode will give you a better understanding of the capacity issues in our region's hospitals. You'll also better understand the resource needs of these hospitals as the city is changing rapidly. I'm your host, Jeff Shulman, and it has been an honor to bring you on the journey exploring many facets of Seattle's rapidly changing landscape, such as homelessness, character and culture, efforts to build density in the city, and the affordability of buying or renting a home in Seattle. We've covered each of these topics in their own episode, and in the last episode, we explored how Seattle's growth is affecting the city's emergency services. You heard from the chief of the fire department, Harold Scoggins. There can be challenges, obviously, as if any area becomes more densely populated, that slows down our travel time on the streets. Um, it could create a few challenges on, um, you know, even going down some of the streets in the residential area. You also heard from the chief operating officer of the Seattle Police Department, Brian Maxey. When you have population density, uh, it certainly would lead to an increase in crimes. The question is whether the increase in crime is disproportionate to the rise in population. And I think what we're, what we're seeing is that there are certain crimes that are uh, dramatically increasing, and they're the property crimes. Let's dive right into today's interviews with Dr. Susan Stern. I'm here at the University of Washington Medical Center with Dr. Susan Stern. Susan is the head of the Division of Emergency Medicine at the University of Washington Medicine, and this includes both the Harborview and UW Medical Center Emergency Departments. Susan, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Susan, why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself. I've been here in Seattle for approximately seven years. Uh, before that, I was at the University of Michigan where I was also uh, faculty. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Harborview? Harborview Medical Center is a uh, cherished and very important resource for both Seattle as well as the region. Um, Harborview is the only level one trauma and burn center for adults and pediatrics for the state of Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. Um, In addition, uh, Harborview is a comprehensive stroke center. In fact, it was the first Joint Commission certified comprehensive stroke center within the Seattle region. It also serves as a resource for, uh, in general, critically ill patients in the same region. In addition to trauma and burn, uh, the mission for Harborview and mission population includes those patients who are uninsured or underinsured, the homeless, those patients with mental illness, as well as uh, those patients with substance abuse problems, so essentially those who are less fortunate. How about the University of Washington Medical Center emergency room? The University of Washington Medical Center, like Harborview, is a very important resource for the region. University of Washington Medical Center is what we describe as a tertiary and quaternary care center, meaning that we take care of the most complex patients you could think of, really. Complex cardiac patients, 
transplant patients, very high risk obstetrical patients and neonatal ICU. And of course, it's a major cancer center given its affiliation with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. We also serve the community around us, uh, which is in general the university population as well as those living in the region. Have you noticed any changes at Harborview? The volume of patients within the Harborview Emergency Department may have increased slightly. I think that uh, the city of Seattle is suffering an epidemic of homeless patients, patients who have uh, substance abuse problems, which goes along with mental illness. And uh, that really translates into greater population and resource needs for those patients within the emergency department. Being the only level one trauma center and uh, burn center for both adults and peds for a very large region, we have always had a high volume of trauma, and I don't think that that has changed considerably, maybe has increased slightly. The other thing that we notice when we look at our statistics is that our population within the United States is growing older. Uh, the baby boomers are hitting an age, and we are seeing more and more geriatric patients with things like falls and uh, other types of illnesses related to getting older. How have these changes affected you personally? I, I think on a personal level, when you're working in the emergency department um, and you have uh, you see a significant increase in the number of patients who are really in need of additional social services and our society is um, is failing them in some ways. Um, it, it does take a toll a bit, but when you're working in the ED on a daily basis, uh, it challenges the system. It can result in increased emergency department crowding. Um, and longer length of stays for these individuals because our focus at that time is not only addressing their physical needs, but it's also attempting to address their social needs and the support services that they require in order to keep them healthier and perhaps keep them out of the emergency department. And so that really puts a stress and a strain on the rest of the emergency department operations. As we look forward and we see more and more people moving into Seattle, what do you think that means for the emergency medicine department at uh, Harborview? Again, Harborview is unique uh, in the patient population that we serve, So, but we do sit in the middle of downtown. So I think predicting into the future for Harborview as well as other emergency departments in the area, I think we need to look at the demographics of the population in Seattle and how it's growing, which demographic is growing the most. While many of the people who are migrating into the city of Seattle, in addition to, you know, there is certainly a homeless population that's growing, but obviously the professional population that are working for the Amazons and Google and Apple, while those may largely be young, healthy uh, adults, there is also a growing geriatric or growing older senior population who will require medical attention, including sometimes needing to go to the emergency departments and getting admitted to the hospitals. And so I think that in looking at the big picture, 
we need to consider that the city of Seattle is right-sized from the emergency department perspective as well as inpatient beds from the perspective of the homeless population, mental health, and substance abuse. We need to develop more services for this um, demographic. Are there any challenges with the current population size relative to the number of beds and number of doctors available to treat the people in Seattle? So that's a uh, complex issue um, that is not answered easily. Uh, I would say at this time, over the past several months, the city and many of the hospitals in the city have been at the highest capacity. And it is not completely clear that that is because of population growth. Some of it may be. Some of it may also be because the patients that are admitted to the hospital, for example, at Harborview and University of Washington Medical Center, I cannot speak for the other hospitals, are highly complex, some of the most complex patients that any hospital in the country experiences and cares for. What that means is that patients will then tend to stay in the hospital for a little bit longer, and therefore your, if you haven't increased your bed capacity, yet the patients that you are admitting are even sicker, uh, yet the same number of patients are coming through your front doors, this will result in a, a capacity issue. There are many things that impact hospital capacity. It's also your ability to discharge patients, and so sometimes patients can't go home and they need to go to nursing homes or they need to go to rehabilitation centers, and if there are not enough of those resources, then it becomes difficult to discharge a patient from the hospital. So it's a complex issue, and I think currently my sense is that there are many factors impacting the capacitance in issues with regard to hospital beds within the city of Seattle. And if somebody shows up at an emergency room and the capacity is full, what happens to that person? So we never turn anyone away from the emergency department. We care for anybody who comes to our hospital front door, whether it's University of Washington Medical Center or Harborview Medical Center and the other emergency departments around the state as well. If the person needs to be admitted to the hospital and they need the specific services and expertise that only Harborview or only University of Washington Medical Center can offer, we will figure out a way to admit them. If they, however, need admitted to a hospital, but we don't have any beds, and they really don't require the specialized expertise of either of those hospitals, we may try to transfer those patients if there's another bed in the city available that can take care of that patient. There are times when there are no beds available in the city, in which case that patient may do what we call boarding in the emergency department. It means that they will stay in the emergency department and we will care for them there just like they were any other patient, but they will receive their inpatient care within the emergency department. And is that a very rare event? Uh, unfortunately, that is not a rare event, and that is happening more often, not just in the city of Seattle, but across the country. And what does that mean for the patient? Uh, so I can only speak to what happens at the University of Washington Medical Center and Harborview Medical Center. And in that case, what this means is that the patient, again, remains in the emergency department. Uh, they are cared for uh, 
by the inpatient hospital team, just as they would be if they were upstairs in the hospital. Um, but in general, their nursing care is uh, provided by emergency department nurses and occasionally inpatient nurses. But for the emergency department, it means that patient is occupying a bed for a patient that has not been cared for yet. And so this is what results, often is what results in our emergency department crowding. And so why should a resident of any city worry about crowding? There has been considerable amount of research uh, looking at the effect and impact of boarding on the delivery of care. And in fact, it can uh, delay certain processes in the emergency department or even in the hospital. Uh, so just two examples are it can result in delay to uh, the provision of pain management or the delivery of antibiotics are just two examples of that. From a greater public health perspective, uh, this can also impact uh, ambulance turnaround time, meaning um, when an ambulance comes to the emergency department, there's a transition of care, so it can delay the time it takes for us to get a report from the ambulance crew and getting that patient over to a hospital stretcher. This delays that ambulance's ability to get back in service and therefore to go to the next emergency, and so uh, we call that an increase in the ambulance offload times. I think it's important to note, however, that despite ED crowding, uh, even in the busiest emergency department, we are always able to prior prioritize, and we always do prioritize, those patients with the most acute emergencies. Uh, the delay in care are really experienced by those patients who have a less acute or certainly non-life-threatening problems. We always care for those patients with acute emergencies first. And if you're crowded, how are you able to identify which incoming patient has those acute problems? So we have a specific triage system, which means that every patient who comes in the door, whether they come in by ambulance or by their own private vehicle, is immediately seen by a triage nurse. And uh, we have a, a very set way of prioritizing. And as you're seeing the emergency departments uh, get crowded, are you seeing that that frontline person is overworked or that person has capacity? Uh, that's a great question as well, and that's one of the ways we are, uh, emergency department physicians, we focus a lot on operations. So if there are a lot of patients coming in the front door, uh, we will change our staffing in the moment to address that. You know, we can move nurses from the back to the front to make sure that we are uh, accommodating the flow of patients and where they're coming in. And as you look forward to the next five years and the population of Seattle and the, the Puget Sound region is expected to continue to grow, what challenges does that create for you as head of, of the Division of Emergency Medicine? You know, I view the emergency department as it is the front door to the hospitals and it is part of a larger integrated healthcare system. We as the healthcare community need to right size our hospitals, the number of hospital beds, and our emergency departments for the population that we see within the city and the region. And so planning for that growth is going to be important but also addressing some of the other problems of access to healthcare for 
homeless to primary care, uh, addressing the issues of the patients with mental health problems and substance abuse, and making sure that there are adequate resources to discharge patients to the appropriate place, all of that would tremendously assist the emergency departments in dealing with the patients that need to come through our front door. What resources would the UW Medical Center Emergency Department need to be able to accommodate influx of new visitors? We would continue to do what we do right now, which is keep an eye to throughput within the emergency department and within the hospital. And at some point, you may need to expand some beds in the emergency department. In your time here, have they expanded the beds in the emergency department? Uh, They have not increased the number of emergency department beds at either the University of Washington Medical Center or the Harborview Medical Center Emergency Department. If you could get a message to the people of Seattle about what they can do to help the emergency departments of of UW and Harborview Medical Centers, what would you say? I guess I would send out a plea to the local community and the regional community, ask you to think about your loved ones, as well as all of the citizens in our area, to support any legislation that might come up to improve our emergency department or to perhaps even build a new emergency department. For those out there with the capability, if you can, um, making a donation to either the University of Washington Medical Center or Harborview Medical Center Emergency Department specifically, so that we can continue to provide state-of-the-art emergency care for anyone who comes through our doors would be wonderful. I would ask people to keep in mind that the emergency departments are an absolute critical resource for the healthcare system and for the community. Any concluding thoughts on population growth in Seattle and how it affects your work? Again, I think that it keeps my work interesting. (laughs) And our challenge as a healthcare system is to manage our resources and right-size our resources for the community which we serve, both the number of residents uh, as well as who that demographic is. Um, And I think that this will, uh, the growth will challenge us to relook at where we're putting our resources and what those resources are. From an emergency department perspective, again, I go back to it's a matter of um, making sure that you have the correct number of beds, making sure that your throughput is appropriate, that the hospital inpatient beds are well-resourced, Uh, and that we also have the social services and the other resources available for uh, those who are less fortunate to keep them healthy and out of the hospital. Dr. Stern, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate your perspective and, and hearing your voice today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. In my next interview, a nurse shares the surprising way that Seattle's growth has affected her life. Susanna, thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Well, I've only been a nurse for two years, and I work in the orthopedics department, which is bones. It's generally hip replacements, knee replacements, and shoulder replacements. So my first year of being there, it was pretty much entirely 60 to 70-year-old people um, that were getting their joints replaced so that they could have a better day-to-day life. It It was incredibly routine. I live here with my husband. I live here with uh, our little baby. So what brought you out to Seattle? We just love it here. We really love the ocean. We love the mountains. We were drawn to like great food, great places to work. 
great schools. It just seems like a great place to live. So you've been in Seattle two years and a nurse during that time. What changes have you seen in just those two short years? Right. So you wouldn't think a lot, but like I said, when I got here, my patient population was incredibly homogenous and I go to work now and it's a lot of heroin users that are homeless and they can't get into Harborview because Harborview is so um, overpopulated. So usually what happens is, you know, Harborview is the trauma center. So anybody with big trauma goes to Harborview, but they also are like a nonprofit you know, they really cater to that community, that population of homeless folks and drug drug addicts. They're great at it. It's just what they do. But uh, trauma takes precedence over, you know, drug users. And so a lot of times people will end up at our door just because Harborview literally doesn't have a bed. Another thing that's happened that I thought was really scary, and this is kind of something that I'm more concerned with because taking care of homeless drug addicts isn't you know, scary, but Harborview has been so slammed that sometimes someone will come with trauma and they'll decide, oh, this isn't really trauma. They're fine. So they'll just ship them to us for a discharge. Like they will literally just send the patient to us. They're totally fine. They just need to be discharged and they don't have time or resources to deal with the discharge process. And what happens there is you lose continuity of care and people can get hurt because we don't get the right medical records. We don't get the right scans. We're not seeing the full MRI, the full CT. And because people are just so crunched, you don't have the time to fax that stuff over. And so now let's talk about you personally. So you joined Mm -hmm. to be in the orthopedics group. Now tell me some of the cases that you've seen that have nothing to do with orthopedics, but are coming from Harborview. So you'll see a lot of so people who are injecting heroin that will grow abscesses. So from infected needles, uh, necrotizing fasciitis is something that's happening a lot. So people with just like flesh eating bacteria. I had somebody had to go to emergency surgery to have their uh, limb removed from that, from drug use. Any other cases that you've seen that you maybe weren't expecting when you joined an orthopedics group? I mean, I see literally everything. You know, I got into orthopedics because it was light and easy. It was people getting better. It was kind of like the labor and delivery of older people, right? Like people come in, but you fix them up and then they're like, I'm going to go to Paris this year. And it was pretty jarring to go from that to, you know, sitting with a family and talking them through what paperwork needed to be done because their, you know, dad had just died. And people newly diagnosed with, you know, fourth stage pancreatic cancer that are going to die in three months and walking their families through that. And um, people with strokes, you know, people that have tubes coming out of their, you know, their lungs and their guts. And it's just, it's just been everything. And part of that's been a blessing, right? Knowledge is power and it's been awesome, but it's also the learning curve is really steep. And so how does that affect you personally? What are your feelings towards this? So my husband actually definitely has noted that work used to be kind of like play and light. I'm really social. And so it used to be like an outlet for like hearing people's stories, chatting, and it's become a lot heavier. I bring home a lot more. I cry a lot more at home. 
I come home saying, can you please have a glass of rosé ready for me? It was one of those days much more frequently than I did a year ago. How has it affected you professionally? I think, uh, you know, it's everything good is hard and like a firm believer in that. Everything great in this life is like challenging. Um, so it's been a blessing to be able to learn so much, but it's just so a lot. It's a lot to, you know, generally, and we're lucky to have this few patients, but generally I have five patients a day. And, you know, in that I can have, yeah, someone who's dying, someone who just had their knee replaced, someone who is, ma is managing Crohn's disease and is struggling and is depressed. I can have a heroin addict who's swearing at me. You know, when I was pregnant, I had a woman who was coming off of something and she like tried to strangle me. And that was just, that was a day where I felt like this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. But I'd say overall, I'm, yeah, this is good for me. How do you think it affects the people who are going for care to Harborview and ending up in the orthopedics group with you as their nurse? Yeah, you know, it's jarring and they'll express that and they'll say like, um, what's going on? And it gets more complicated with insurance. Sometimes patients won't qualify for things because they've been moved and their status as a patient has changed. So they're frustrated, they're angry and they're confused. And you know, how trash do you feel when it's just like, oh, we don't have time for you. We don't have time resources to take care of you properly. You know, you're sick and you just want to be taken care of. There's just this, there's this innate part of us that's like, come on, man, I'm, I feel like crap. Please just help me. And we're not doing that well right now because we can't, you know, Harp, especially I feel for Harborview and Harborview nurses, especially because they're so crunched and they get the worst and the hardest of it all. And I know, I know that that must be so hard, but, um, yeah, our patients are definitely suffering because of it. So are you noticing anything else or any, any other changes? I think Seattle, as it's growing in everything, you know, especially in tech, uh, but it's becoming a hub for people who use substances. And you can see that whether you're driving down the street or whether you're in a hospital. And so I'd say where I'd have like a drug addict or somebody who was coming in for, you know, care of some kind of injury related to intravenous drug use was like once a week. I see it maybe like there's two out of five of my patients every time I work. So that's been pretty hard. It's hard. They're hard to take care of. Most, most patients are really gracious and polite and lovely. Honestly, I love my job because I work with great people. You know, my coworkers are great and my patients are generally great, but it's really hard to be like screamed at all day and to have to fight your way to care for someone who refuses a lot of your care. That's been probably the hardest change. Do you want to expand a little on some of the activities and actions that you've had to do as a registered nurse that you maybe didn't think you would have to do when you started there? Um, find people's syringes and confiscate them. Call security because someone has a gun that wasn't checked for or somebody has some kind of weapon and then have that person get irate. Nurses are often talked about being like, you're the social worker and the doctor and the, and that's really felt true. And how do you think this change 
affects the people who were trying to just get better with their orthopedics. Right, totally. Um, you would be surprised how often, it's actually sort of sweet, It's you'd be surprised how often a patient would go, did that screaming lady get better? It's distracting. It's hard enough to sleep in a hospital and it's harder to sleep in a hospital and someone screaming all night, demanding or fighting with their partner. We have a code that we call when there's danger and that code gets called more and more and more and more and more. As you look towards the future, what changes would you like to see happen so that you could give the care that you want to give to the patients? I think more money needs to be put towards drug treatment programs. Uh, I think more money needs to be put into Harborview. So I think, yeah, a lot more preventative care for everybody, for everybody from like a migrant worker to a drug addict. I think everybody needs services. And I think that we need to have like a very hard look at the budget um, and where those resources go. Any other thoughts on the changes that you've seen? Yeah, I think just like kind of to reiterate that these are people, this is like your mom or your sister, your brother. These are people that just deserve consistent care. They deserve you know, to be taken care of like a person and not just like a number or a slot in a bed that's filling up a space. And that's really what's happening because we're in such a strained situation. And that, you know, it matters. It matters to deal with this. It's really important to figure out something soon so that everyone from, you know, the 18-year-old who shot up last night to your 92 year old grandma so that everybody has a space to heal and that they can be there that they're not rushed out that we're not frantically trying to get rid of them that they can just be there that's really important and if you can get a message out to the people of seattle just an everyday person who maybe isn't interacting with the healthcare system as often what would you say to them you know, yeah, I, I think that's, there's a lot of healthy people that don't think about getting sick. I think like you need to start thinking about that and get getting involved, thinking about the people that you love and when issues come up to vote, vote, vote on these things, vote on where money gets sent um, because this will eventually affect you. You know, like I said, we all get sick, we all die you will someday need to be taken care of. And when that comes, you should be respected and you should be taken care of with dignity. And so those are things that you have to start thinking about now. And there are a lot more sexier issues to think about than death and dying and hospital care. But it is the one thing that we will all do. So don't forget about it when you're voting. Don't forget about it when you're talking to people of power. Susanna, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the work that you do in helping the, the people thank of Seattle. You. Thank you. I next turn to the person in charge of the Harborview Medical Center, Paul Hayes. I'm here with Paul Hayes, Executive Director of Harborview Medical Center. Paul, thanks for joining me today. Sure. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? So I'm a, a nurse by education and training and uh, worked at the clinical bedside and then just uh, Got to a point in my own development where did I want to advance um, professionally in terms of the care of patients or 
spend my time and energy looking at the context in which patient care was rendered and the people who provided that care and decided that I would go into that track. So, so through quite a few years of experience, I've worked for some incredible people who believed if you were a great leader, you could manage any clinical area. And so I have a very diverse portfolio um, of experience that allowed me, when the opportunity at Harborview came open, to apply. And uh, I've been at Harborview now for the last 19 months and just find it an exceptionally rewarding and inspiring work. Tell me a little bit about Harborview. Harborview is uh, uh, a hospital that's owned, a medical center owned by the King County, but has been managed and operated and really thrived under the direction of UW Medicine and the university. There's 413 beds that we occupy and run. We are a level one trauma center, and that's the only level one trauma center for adults and pediatrics for a four-state region. Um, and we also, as a subset of that work, um, provide burn care for adults and pediatrics for a multi-state region. We have a very robust program um, of care. Um, we have a tremendous amount of critical care patients, obviously, that fly in from other parts of the United States for very specialized care. We have a center of excellence uh, devoted to uh, mental health um, and serve a large population, not only on the inpatient side, but on the outpatient side. And we have centers of emphasis in neurosurgery, orthopedics, vascular surgery that complement our portfolio uh, um, on the inpatient side, but also on the outpatient side where we run close to 55 diverse clinics. If you could summarize the importance of Harborview Medical Center to the community of Seattle, what would you say? Obviously, our role in the trauma system, being the only level one trauma center for a multi-state region. Um, in Seattle, we're the um, coordinating medical facility for all the other facilities. And we play a tremendous uh, role in terms of care of vulnerable populations, as well as provide um, and support the education and teaching mission of the university. And before we try to get to some numbers, can you say qualitatively any changes that you've seen in your 19 months? I, I see the continual um, push towards care moving from a hospital-based setting to an ambulatory type setting. And can you just describe the ambulatory care? Ambulatory care is a, a setting where a patient typically does not spend a night in the bed, and the resources around them are less intensive than you'd find in a hospital. And now quantitatively, have you seen a change in the, as the population in Seattle has grown, have you seen a change in the number of visitors to Harborview? Our um, ambulatory side of our care and our medical center continues to increase in the number of visits, both in primary care and specialty care. Our hospital side um, continues to be very, very uh, busy. We run at a very, very high occupancy. Um, and I believe that's more indicative of the very specialized programs, particularly our trauma program, our burn program, and vascular surgery, neurosurgery, orthopedics, um, and our mental health uh, emphasis that drives that, that occupancy. 
Can you give a sense of what the bed utilization or what that occupancy rate is and how that's trending? So at Harborview, we run, I would estimate, somewhere between 95 and 100% occupancy. And usually a sweet spot for where everybody like to land is around 85%. And so how might you get to that sweet spot? Um, our major focus currently right now is looking at our length of stay and, and being very clear um, in managing our patient's expectation for how long they'll be in the hospital preparing for their, what I call their post-acute care phase as quickly as possible, preferably on admission, so that the number of days they spend inside our walls decreases. And what happens at these times when you're running at 100% occupancy? We are very creative in using every um, appropriate space for the care of patients. Um, we are very, very um, mature in moving our patients through once discharge has been identified. One of our latest innovations at Harborview is we established a discharge lounge. So staffed by a registered nurse and a hospital assistant, and it's run Monday through Friday. If I'm appropriate, based on the criteria, instead of waiting upstairs for my ride or my medication or even my discharge instruction, um, the patient is relocated to this space, is supervised by the registered nurse, and uh, we conclude, if you will, any aspects of their discharge education preparation in that space that allows us to free up the bed, prepare it for our next patient. And so you've got this sweet spot that's around 85%, and with the rising needs for, for your services, you're hovering a little bit above that. Who mainly suffers from the deviation from that sweet spot? I think the sweet spot and where we are is, um, is anyone suffering? No, because we work very hard at providing the lay, same level of care irrespective of where the patient is located. I will also say that our most recent patient experience data shows us that we've hit an all-time high. So even with the high numbers of patients, We've reached new levels of performance in the patient's assessment of their experience within the walls of Harborview. Obviously, in order to spring up to those higher numbers, um, we need staff, we need faculty to meet our mission, and we continually assess and respond in order to make sure that we have the people, which is the face of Harborview, um, in order to meet our mission. Do you anticipate a need for more licensed beds? I certainly don't. And if you follow healthcare literature with the continued focus on wellness and the migration of care from the inpatient setting to an outpatient setting, I believe that we're appropriately bed-sized, if you will. The goal in the work is how do we most effectively utilize the beds that we have. And as Seattle continues to grow, if you see the need for more licensed beds, can you talk a little bit about the process of how you would be able to do that? Washington is what's called a certificate of need state, which means you have to demonstrate to the state um, your need for additional beds. And they s have a process where they have the what they call healthcare planning districts, which represents population and also captures current beds, you have to justify 
why a specific type of bed or number of beds is necessary and then at that point it's evaluated, it's put out for public comment and then they make a ruling and either grant or deny that request. And how long does that process take from the moment you say, well, we're uh, underserved here by the number of beds, we need more to the time you're actually able to add them to your hospital? Depending upon how controversial the request is, um, anywhere from 18 to 24 to 36 months. So that means you need to have a pretty long-range view. You have to have a long-range view as well as you have to have an acute understanding of what's going on in the marketplace with the current use of beds. Not every healthcare institution who runs a hospital operates all of their current licensed beds. So to give you an example, a hospital may be licensed for 300 beds, but only operationally have 225 online and they get to that 225 and then they don't expand or open up additional capacity. The um, challenge is, is to understand that and know that there are 75 beds in your healthcare service planning area that aren't being put to use. And so as you project for the next five years, what do you see for the future of Harborview in terms of what resources you need and what challenges you anticipate facing? I think Harborview is appropriately sized for its inpatient capacity. Um, we are currently studying our ambulatory care services. I would say not unique to Harborview, but to all institutions is what I call the post-acute um, system. So that's after a patient has completed their acute inpatient length of stay and they either need skilled nursing, they need an adult family home, they need some sort of supported housing. That's a continuum that I believe is undersized and, and creates challenges, particularly for an organization like Harborview where we have patients with not just physical complexity but behavioral, socially, economic complexity that makes it just a little more challenging to find a spot for that patient to move into. And so what would you say is number one on your mind? What's keeping you up at night as you look at the projections of Seattle's continued growth? One is uh, the post-acute system of care um, because for Harborview at any given point in time, we could have close to 36 patients waiting for a protracted period of time. So my access to an acute inpatient bed is challenged because I have someone who is more appropriate for a, a lower level of care uh, sitting in a very high-end tertiary type of bed. Issue number two is just uh, really uh, our continued work at Harborview on um, employee engagement and retention. Um, we do well with recruitment based on our mission and our culture at Harborview, but keeping a resilient workforce to day in and day out meet our mission is something that we keep front of mind. Do you have any concluding thoughts on growth in Seattle and what that means for Harborview Medical Center? I would anticipate that proportionally we'll continue to see high volumes come through our doors and we're preparing to meet the patient's needs and provide health care both on a primary care level as well as a specialty care level.
Paul, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it was very nice to meet you and hear your perspective. Great. Thank you. And to get more information about our region's hospitals, I turn to Jeff Austin. I am here with Jeff Austin, the Interim Executive Director of the University of Washington Medical Center. Jeff, thank you for joining me today. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? I've been with the University of Washington Medical Center since 2005, um, working in a variety of roles and have been in the interim role here for about a year since last August. Tell me a little bit more about the University of Washington Medical Center. Where does it fit within the region's healthcare network? Well, I can talk a little bit about uh, UW Medicine as a whole and UW Medical Center, and then that'll fill in how the fits into the region. Uh, UW Medicine uh, represents eight clinical entities across UW. Uh, UW Medical Center is one of those eight entities, Harborview being an entity, Northwest Hospital, Valley Medical Center, our School of Medicine, Airlift Northwest. Um, so we're a, a system uh, in a number of different types of entities that comprise our health system. UW Medical Center is a tertiary quaternary care center where we provide a lot of medically complex services, a wide range of services as well as if we on the on the on the hospital side and then we also have a very broad a network of ambulatory clinics that extend to the east side, north to Edmonds, and around through the Seattle region. As the Seattle population and economy has grown, what has been the most profound impact on your work? Our number one challenge has been workforce and recruiting. And what we find is that the growth in Seattle provides a lot of competition for work and for jobs in Healthcare workers uh, have choices on where they want to go, not just at other healthcare organizations, but even uh, philanthropic organizations, biotech organizations, high tech organizations, and recruiting and creating a lifestyle for people to come work in our organization is is our number one challenge, uh, and we're very focused on that. Compensation is always an issue, childcare, commuting, a number of different factors on what the lifestyle is for somebody to work here and how they get to work and the work that they have to do. So you're talking about overall employee welfare. Do you have any indications as to what is being most strained at this point as Seattle's economy and population is growing? I think one, one of those is transportation and commuting and being able to get to work. A common conversation I have with uh, nurses that live north of the university, Mill Creek, um, even Edmonds and Shoreline, is the amount of time that it takes them to get to work and coming down the I-5. Now, just in the last few months, we've opened up the Link Light Rail train station at UW, and so commuting north uh, has gotten tremendously better, and our employees really, really appreciate that, and and that's been a, a boon to uh, our employees as well as patients, uh, frankly. And the extension of that going forward in the future is going to make a huge difference for the university as a whole, as well as for what we're trying to do here. And now let's switch gears to opportunities. What benefits have you noticed as a result of the increase in population and the, the growth of the Seattle economy? We have a very highly educated workforce in Seattle. So it um, we are able to recruit and attract, and I think, uh, the feed of the University of Washington with the technology companies, with the growth in the workforce, 
um, it's a it's a repeating cycle for itself, um, and it and it, it also makes us very attractive for uh, for for nurses for therapists to come work at the UW, and they have bachelors of science uh, nursing degrees. They have masters of science nursing degrees, and they're spouses of people that get jobs at some of our tech companies and some of the other companies, and we provide a place for, for them to work. So I think it's actually been a real nice uh, boon from that perspective. Okay, so the number one challenge is, is recruiting a workforce, and the number one benefit is recruiting a workforce. Help resolve how that's both a challenge and a benefit at the same time. Well, we uh, present a great opportunity. We can't pay the highest in the in the region. Uh, we provide great benefits, and people will come and work with us, and they'll they'll train with us. They'll be with us for a few years, and can go get a higher salary working at another organization in the area. But if we we know if we keep people for two, three, four years longer that they will stick with us for, for the duration. So, so you're right. It's great to be able to attract and, and bring in an educated workforce, but at the same time, as fast as we're trying to grow, we can't recruit fast enough. Let's talk about the, the influx of patients and how that's affecting the University of Washington Medical Center. Uh, are you seeing an influx uh, of patients as the population is rising? We are. We're seeing uh, certainly uh, changes in demographics and changes in uh, styles that we work with. And so the treatments and therapies we provide are becoming less invasive. And so where we used to provide inpatient services, we're now providing services on an outpatient basis. So it's not to say that our inpatient services are not growing, but what we're seeing is a, a dramatic growth in our outpatient services and therapies and, and the way that we provide that care. And in your professional opinion, do you believe that the current healthcare network or the University of Washington Medical Center in particular is right-sized for the population and the anticipated growth? Yeah, I believe that UW Medical Center as well as UW Medicine are, are growing entities, and we know that there are pockets and um, populations out there that are not served um, or underserved or could be better served. Um, and we're uh, persistently looking at the those populations in the markets to say, where can we continue to expand and grow? Do I think that we're right-sized at this point in time? Our plans are for continued growth uh, because we see the populations in Seattle growing and the needs of the community to continue to grow. Um, we know that with a younger workforce, uh, that workforce is they're going to be having uh, children along the way. And how do we provide birthing and mother and baby services? How do we provide um, primary care and family medicine services? How do we provide pediatric services with our partners at Children's? So we are persistently looking at how are we going to meet the expanding needs of the, the population. And, and, it's a, and it's a great position to be in because, as I mentioned before, it's an educated workforce and, and we can provide uh, more meaningful services rather than trying to, maybe in other depressed economies, cities across the country, where it's um, more of trying to chase down how do we get more people into our, into our networks and, and the work that we do, but rather go out and pro provide expanding services for these growing families. As the population has grown, have you ever found the UW Medical Center full? What we see in the in the marketplace is that uh, there are times where there are surges in um, 
in our hospital community. So it's not just at UW Medical Center, but also across the across the region. And so what we do within UW Medical Center is we work as a system and we look at our partners at Northwest Hospital and at Valley Medical Center. And we look at what are the best needs for the patients uh, that we provide. So we try to monitor that activity. There's a lot of things we can do in hospital operations to manage that capacity piece. But really, it's about the efficiency of what we do every day within the hospital uh, to manage our uh, length of stay and our capacity. And it's also looking at those patients that actually probably could have uh, better and more appropriate care at one of our community facilities. And as you look to grow in certain areas to become right-sized or to stay right-sized, what resources do you need and where might you be able to get them? Well, I, I think that goes back to the number one resource that we need is, uh, is, is people and highly trained people. Um, and the other uh, areas that we continue to work on is with our uh, governmental agencies to understand how, we, as we continue to expand our services throughout the region, how do we um, continue to look at the financing for those services, whether they're for long-term care and post-acute care services, uh, mental health. Um, we know that these are needs in the areas, and so looking at how do we work with our uh, state agencies to, to expand funding for those uh, highly needed services. Can you talk a little bit about what would happen to the, the region's health care if there were a natural disaster and how well we're prepared for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we actually have a uh, regional response network um, that's coordinated out of Harborview Medical Center around disasters. And we work uh, uh, very collaboratively with all the other hospitals in the area on disaster drills. Uh, we have our own internal structure on how we manage a very structured response and coordinated across the region. And so given the latest occupancy rates within the, the region, the hospital network would be prepared to handle the influx of patients? Well, what we, what we do in that situation is we uh, begin to triage and look at the criticalness of the patients that are coming in. And so it would be going down the list of all the patients and the potential patients coming into our hospital and which of those patients do we need to think about not seeing in that day and focus on what other patients in the, in the facility would we transfer so we can maintain our uh, capacity to care for those complex patients. Do you have any concluding thoughts on growth in Seattle and the future of University of Washington Medical Center? I think it's a very exciting uh, place to be. Um, and if I look across the nation and look at other marketplaces, um, this is one of the most exciting markets for healthcare to be in. Again, like I said previously, that there's no bad healthcare in Seattle. Um, it's a very collegial environment. Um, we work across uh, all of the organizations and collaborate in a number of different ways. And I think uh, the next next five to ten years, we're going to see some significant changes in healthcare across the country. And I think we're very well positioned here at UW Medical Center and UW Medicine to be driving those changes nationally. Jeff, thank you very much for your time and for your work here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. That is all for today's episode. If you have an experience with Seattle's healthcare system. I want to hear from you. Use hashtag Seattle Health to join the conversation. Next week on the Seattle Growth Podcast, we look at how the public schools are affected by Seattle's growth. You'll hear from Liz McLennan, a teacher at Roosevelt High School. Well, certainly the hallways, which are packed, the stairwells, I feel uncomfortable in the stairwells, and I avoid going 
lockers get jammed. And so when they have crowded halls, it's hard for kids to get in and out of a locker. Bathrooms are crowded. You'll hear from Kirk Wohlers, former president of the Garfield PTSA. And the actual number of students has grown dramatically. So I think uh, the school is really designed to handle about 1,600 students. But then the projections coming in are uh, massive, right? So 2,200, 2,300. So the school is not designed to handle, I mean, physically, there's no room for, for that many students. You'll hear from Dr. Flip Herndon, Associate Superintendent of Seattle Public Schools. Average price right now for us building elementary school is about $40 million. That's without land acquisition. Um, and again, a two and a half to three year timeline to get that done. Until next time, I hope you will rate the podcast in iTunes and subscribe if you haven't already. We still have many great interviews to come that you will not want to miss, including the director of the Seattle Department of Transportation and the mayor of Seattle, Ed Murray. Check back on the website, www.seattlegrowthpodcast.com for more updates.